Introducing The Vet Detective, brought to you by PSI Vet, a quick and candid series for veterinary professionals where we uncover the underlying challenges that limit your business's potential. Featuring your host, PSI Vet's Kimberly Schaefer. Vet Detective. This is our first episode and just wanted to give a little bit of insight on who I am. Uh, I'm a licensed veterinary technician. I was in practice for a little over 20 years and decided to change profession, not profession necessarily, but changed career and left veterinary nursing. Came into the world of consulting with PSI and I've been with PSI for almost three years now and I'm really excited to have this opportunity to, to have a, a platform to really discuss a lot of things that I've learned and and learned from other people as well and you know kind of big questions are like wh- who am I like who am I and and what do I have to bring that someone else doesn't have to bring or what makes me so special and um Nothing, nothing makes me special other than just the fact that I'm just trying to 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 connect with people um, in the veterinary profession. Um, luckily, I wasn't completely burned out in um, this space, and I still get really excited about veterinary topics and and you know well-run businesses and good medicine and and all the things like when I see successes and I see people happy and see people still really passionate about what they do that gives me energy gets me energized so I really just want to take some of those experiences and share them with you guys and also try and kind of really investigate why some of these you know things happen in veterinary medicine and just kind of have some conversations about just general topics and um I hope that you will keep joining us. I'm really excited for our first episode today. We have uh, an interview with Dr. Peter Weinstein. And so um, he's got a lot of really good insight. And um, so hopefully there's something that you might be able to take home from this. And uh, we'll just keep this conversation going. Hello, listeners. Welcome to this episode of The Vet Detective. I'm honored to have a very special guest today, Dr. Peter Weinstein. He is the co-author of The E-Myth Veterinarian and uh, certainly a, a very smart person that I'm going to pick his brain um, today on our on our session. So welcome. It is an honor and a pleasure. And, and please call me Peter. Let's just keep this formal. Excuse me, Absolutely. keep this informal. <laughs> informal. Sounds great. Thank you. Um, so I was able to listen to your lecture at our PSI Business Symposium last year and um, mostly speaking about Wanji and, and what that means and, and definitely had some inspiration there. And I think everyone, every one of our listeners can relate. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. First of all, wanji is not something that you'll find at the menu of a smoothie shop or a Chinese restaurant or something like that. Um, Wanji stands for work on, not just in your practice, your business. It, It really comes from the concept of the fact that as entrepreneurs, managers, small business owners, we are so busy being busy that we sometimes don't take the necessary step back and take a look at our business and take some time, blocked off, concerted, focused time to work on the business 
and all of the different things that the business entails. We are too busy seeing clients. We are too busy doing payroll. We are too busy doing inventory. We're too busy in surgery to think about how the telephone is being answered, the client service experience, uh, how cages are being cleaned, and, and a plethora of other things. So Wanji is really the concept of saying we need to book out and create concerted time, preferably actually away from the business, to work on the business and all the nuances rather than just getting so hung up in the tasks of working in the business. So if you want to put it into simple terms, it's strategy before tactics. Yeah. So I think the million dollar question is how? How do you get time? How do you make time? Um, you know, especially if you're an independent business owner, maybe one doctor, maybe two doctors, where do you start? You start with a commitment. You start with a commitment that working on your business is going to be as important or more important than working in your business. And it may mean that you work a half a day in the clinics and you take a half a day outside of the clinics, not to play golf and, and not to do other things, what? but to <laughs> <laughs> but to, to do work in on the practice. And the problem with doing it on site is that when you are physically in your practice, you are considered to be the doctor, or as we talk about in Wanji, the technician doing technical work. You really, to become that entrepreneur, you have to step away from the business. And it's really hard to do that when you're sitting in your office and your receptionist sees you there, your technician sees you there, and they ask you operational questions, which get you back to, to tactics versus the bigger picture strategy. Honestly, for every, every time you book time out to work on the strategy of your practice, it will come back to you as a return on investment in multipliers. So I really can't emphasize enough the importance to book that time out on a regular basis, whether it's weekly, whether it's uh, monthly, that you work on your business. It, you're not going to be able to do it between appointments and you're not going to be able to do it on a quiet afternoon. There just has to be a work on time or a Wanji time that you block ahead of time. Maybe it's a day off. I, I don't care how you do it. But if, if you want to take your practice to the next level, this has to be a priority. Yeah, I can't agree more. Um, so what do you think, what do you say to the, to the practice manager where, you know, you have that relationship in a clinic where there's a practice manager that handles, you know, I don't know, the, the, the larger percentage of business things, but can't really make that decision, still has to get that decision from the owner. And, and the, there's that back and forth where the owner's like, you know, doesn't have time to think about it, talk to my practice manager, but never really is in the loop, you know? Um, that seems to be a frustrating thing, I think, for a lot of practice managers is just not having, not, not being able to tie down and really connect. Um, well, I mean, what you're talking about is the fact that many owners haven't given up the other responsibilities in the practice and become an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Many owners 
and and if you read the E Myth, the original E Myth, or the E Myth Revisited, or I may even have mentioned it in the, in the E Myth Veterinarian, veterinarians are technicians who have an entrepreneurial seizure, which means <laughs> you know one day they they were a doctor and the next day they own a business, but they can't stop being a doctor and they can't stop micromanaging everything. And what they have to truly be able to do is delegate and empower their management team to make decisions. And part of working on the business is having leadership meetings with your management team that essentially says, here's what you do, here's what I do, you have these, this power, you have these decision-making capabilities, only come to me if it's not within that realm or if it's a higher level decision or a high budget level decision from that standpoint. I, I think any time a veterinarian is involved with some of the day-to-day -day operational things within their practice, it's taking away from what is their primary income generating strength, which is to be taking care of clients and patients. So let the leaders, the managers do their jobs, let the doctors be the doctors, and then also find time for the managers and the entrepreneur, in this case, the owner, to get together and wanji together. Can I say that? Yeah. Can, can, can you wanji together without getting into trouble? I think so. Um, I don't <laughs> think there's any <laughs> negative connotation of wanji. Not yet. Um, not yet. But um, so when I'm when I'm visiting different practices, you know, there's there's obviously pain points in, in, in all practices and, and some are stronger than others. Um, you know, we talk about are there ever enough doctors? There's never never doctors to hire or there's never technicians to hire. And and, you know, why can't I find good talent? Um, can you talk about some things um, that really can fact, you know, factor into those those not being able to find the people, not being able to, to retain the talent. Yeah, well, let's just say that that people are a, a variable that is the hardest variable to control. You can control the electricity, the water, the gas, you can control the anesthetic levels, but you can't control people. And, and so absolutely, people are one of the greatest pain points. Now, Part of the practice problems that we have is, is retention of people. Part of the practice problems is acquisition of people. And part of the practice problems is appropriate utilization of people. So I would argue that in many cases, practices are inefficiently utilizing their staff, inconsistently utilizing their staff, and not leveraging them to the maximum that they could so that you keep adding people to get tasks done instead of training and empowering people to do tasks. So I could argue that if an MD or a dentist can work four rooms or four uh, chairs in a dentist case, why can't a veterinarian work two or three rooms and, and the main reason is we haven't taught our nurses, our technicians, our client service team, how to be um, an, an advocate or an adjunct to the doctor. So I can, I can show a doctor how he doesn't really need to add a veterinarian, but probably adds to, it needs to add 
two or three lay staff, paraprofessional staff, to let him do what he does best. And really, there are only three things doctors need to do. Diagnose, prescribe, and do surgery. And there are certain states where you have to be the one who administers a rabies shot. I mean, so, it, it would be it would be beneficial if they if they throw something in the trash intentionally into the bucket instead of on the side of the bucket. That would be helpful too. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're asking for a lot, you know. I mean, veter veterinarians have technicians hired just to clean up after them. I think. But <laughs> I think instead of true. leveraging them to do um, things like a good history, a superficial physical exam, and be the communication tool to the clients, the doctor has to be everything. So do we have enough doctors? In many practices, there's a shortage of doctors. And, and you know, we're having this conversation as in, in during this whole COVID crisis that we're in. And, and I always like to think before COVID and post COVID, I think before COVID, we, we had underutilized staff, inefficient business model. COVID only brought that to the fore and I think post-COVID, we need to figure out how we can provide a more efficient business model, fully leveraging our staff and, and trying to, and, and, and here is the bigger problem, uh, is that you, if you look at, look at a staff member as a lump of clay at the time you hire them, it is your job, your responsibility, not you as the owner, but the responsibility of the practice to mold that piece of clay into an optimal employee, which means choosing good clay, having a good way of molding that clay, aka onboarding and orientation, and then continuing to work with the clay to a level of training so that it comes to its optimal peak. And it looks like whatever clay gets made into but I, I think way too often we we bring in a lump of clay and it just sits on a chair in the reception desk or in the treatment area and, and remains a lump of clay because we don't mold it so yeah we got we got issues you know i mean it's like <laughs> we need to all be lying on a couch with a spe with a with a psychologist and having a conversation because we got issues yeah absolutely and and i agree like i i think some of these issues have been there all along and now we have this we had the had COVID come in and really just bring everything to the table and um, challenge the the weaknesses we already had to a whole nother level um, and making everyone in the veterinary industry change in a very short amount of time, which we all know is very difficult in the veterinary industry. Change is hard. Ch change is hard in, the, in any industry and in any person, but change in the veterinary field was glacial until a year ago. Yeah. And um, now and then all of a sudden change was speed of light. But you know what's interesting is somehow we've accommodated and somehow right. we've had revenue growth over the past year at levels that we hadn't seen in a while. You're right. But the interesting thing is we've had that revenue growth with actually fewer client visits. Right. So if you look at the statistics, practices are more revenue heavy, more cash heavy, their profits may or may not be any better, but they've seen fewer people. But because of the inefficiencies that have been brought out, and of course, this curbside versus table side, um, we're, we're, we, it's definitely shown weaknesses that need to be um, 
repaired, improved, fixed, rebuilt, or I like to say reimagined going forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think, I think often I see, you know, when, as I'm visiting practices and, and kind of just seeing, you know, what are your goals for 2021? And, and so many times I just hear surviving 2021 or getting over 2020 and putting that in the past. But I don't think, I, I think it's really important to not lose sight of still making goals. Even when you feel overwhelmed, even when you feel like maybe you didn't even get a chance to conquer any of the goals that you had previously put in, putting realistic, you know, smart goals in play to, to still have something to, to work forward to um, is, is super important. And, and I think that a lot of times there's a lot of resources that are out there for veterinarians that are just, that just go neglected, you know, um, aren't being utilized, aren't, aren't, you know, people feel like they don't have time to take advantage of it, but it's almost that they don't, they can't afford to not take advantage of some of these things. Kimberly, do you know what goal setting is? <laughs> I do. It's Wanji. Yeah. Goal setting is Wanji, which is why it doesn't happen. Okay. Mm -hmm. You, you uh, being better than 2020 is not a goal. Being better than 2020 <laughs> is an aspiration. All right. Getting right. through 2021 isn't a goal. It's an aspiration. A goal needs to be smart. And you use that term already specific, measurable, attainable, repeatable, and time stamped. A goal needs to be there. Animals, we, even bacteria are goal seeking organisms. Your team thrives on goals and the goals that you set to help them become accomplished. The goal is not to arrive at eight and leave at six. The goal is to have a greater impact on the clients and the patients in the community, but you have to have a specific way of doing so. Any practice that doesn't have a goal is, got, is like a car in neutral, going nowhere. Yeah. Your goals are your practice's GPS final destination. I like you that. You need to plug it in and then figure out how you're going to get there in the most direct, effective, and efficient manner. Yeah, and I, I think that I think that, like, as you said, having that specific, that, that specific goal, I think a lot of times veterinarians are like, well, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do, you know, 10 different things all at once and which equals no, no different things ever. And so, you know, it's okay to have one specific goal. It's okay to have, you know, two goals for the whole year. If you can do those two goals, well, it's better to do something smaller and attainable than it is to, to, to over goal set and then be overwhelmed because you, you can't find the time or you won't find the time. So when I talk with members, you know, with PSI, um, you know, I'm, I'm always talking to them about like, let's, there's a lot of things to unpack here, but let's focus on the most important right now. Um, and then once that is really established, once that's really fixed or done or completed or whatever the case is, then you can move to the next one. Yeah, well, that's how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, exactly. it's that same metaphor. It's like, but the interesting thing about veterinarians is that they're like puppies. You know, it's like 
Oh, it moved. I'm going to go get it. Oh, wait, something else moved. I'm going to go get it. Every bright, shiny object gets veterinarian's eyes all big and shiny. And like, and, and instead of focusing on, on what was there today, they're going to focus on what's there next. It's kind of like when veterinarians go to conferences and they take reams and reams of paper and all of these things that they want to do when they get back in the office on Monday. And then they fire hose all over the staff about everything that they're going to do over the next few weeks. And two weeks later, they can't even remember having had that conversation two weeks prior. Pick some successes that the staff can have and the team can have. Make sure that you have some positive outcomes that you can attain because that's so motivational. Meeting goals is extremely motivational to the team. Can I, can I give you a, a story and an example that we didn't practice many years ago? Of course. So... Kimberly, you know what February is, right? In the veterinary uh, field. <laughs> it, it Dental month. Absolutely. Congratulations to Hills. They have created an entire <laughs> month and they've distracted the veterinary profession away from Valentine's Day and President's Day. So in the veterinary <laughs> field, February is National Pet Dental Health Month. Well, there were two doctors in the practice um, and we routinely did about 40 dentistries per month. So one February, I think in December, we had a staff meeting and said, you know, gang, what do you want to set as a goal for dentistries in the month of February coming up? And uh, we let the staff determine uh, how many dentistries they wanted to do. And, and maybe it was two and a half doctors, I don't recall. And they said, um, we want to do 100. I said, cool, two and a half times what we normally do on an average month. I said, okay, if you do 100, what do you want? as your goal, as your, um, as your thank you, as your congratulatory. And they said, take us all to SeaWorld. Um, and, and that would be wonderful. I, I didn't want to do cash. So I said they had to come up with a, um, a measurable goal, something they would remember. And I said, you do a hundred dentistries. I'll take you to SeaWorld. We were about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes north of SeaWorld, San Diego. Come February, they did 120 dentistries in February and into mid-March because we had to carry them over. I took the entire staff and families, I think we took about 40, 50, 60 people to SeaWorld. Um, it was worth every penny. And every day, at the end of the day, we had a thermometer in the hallway between the reception area and the treatment room right outside the staff lounge. And there was a thermometer and they would color in the number of dentistries they got done that day till they blew the top off the thermometer. That's what a goal is, and that's how you get your entire team invested in a goal. Yeah, I like that. That sounds great. Um, I, I, I see a lot of different things that, you know, sometimes manufacturers can come in and set these goals where people can win. And, you know, it, it doesn't always, it, it, it does work sometimes, but it, it's so important for the, for the hospital, for the, the, the owner to be as invested and involved in this goal. Um, like you said, because it gets it, it it sets a precedent and lets everybody know that it's important and it's not just like oh well we're just doing that because this rep wants us to sell this or this you know we want to do this one thing but you know having having a goal that is measurable and it's also throughout the whole team that's really important too. Um, I always go over the importance of that transparency. Like if you have a good day you know, you bring in a ton of revenue on a particular day, share that success with your team, let them know what, what they had 
you know, their, their, their footprint in that success. And um, I think all too often we just go revert back to that, you know, the owners and the managers are just, just trying to, to get through the day. They're, they're being technicians or they're um, just, you know, not necessarily always sharing those, those goals and successes with the entire team. And I think that the, the, the team loses motivation because they don't really know what their importance is. Um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting, Kimberly, because most owners know what the daily break-even point is. In other words, how mm -hmm. much income you have to take in just to pay the bills for that day. So we had, and you mentioned it, we had a, um, a program that it, for each certain level above our break-even point, there was cash rewards to every staff member that worked that day, no matter whether they were kennel person or receptionist. And so they could get five, 10, 15, $20 in cash for each target that they made um, by, the, by the gross revenue at the end of the day. And I found my reception staff at about three o'clock in the afternoon, right? You know, as we were getting started with afternoon appointments, middle of the morning, afternoon appointment, would, would see where the, where the revenue was at that day and they would kind of project what was still to go home. And uh, yeah, if we were getting close to one of those target points, it was amazing how much more flea and tick we would sell or paint or um, heartworm medications would go home or bags of food would go from 10 pounds to 20 pounds or, and not that these were unneeded items, these were needed based upon um, patient care, but there was a lot more communication when they thought that they may get a little bit more reward at the end of the day and, and everybody participated in that reward system. Absolutely. When when I was in practice, the practice that I worked at, we had a calculated break-even day and we had a, a a dry erase board and we would mark, you know, wasn't wasn't happening per day, but the very next day it was recorded. Like, you know, it was written in red what we brought in. If it was below the break-even number, it was written in green if we were above the break-even number. And then there was a profit sharing, you know, similar reward if if there was enough um percentage growth over the month. And so every day in the break room, people could see what days were good and what days were bad. And, and it also brings a lot of awareness to your entire team because there were times where they felt like the day was really busy, but there really wasn't a lot of revenue. And, and it was easier to kind of see like, okay, did we just really work hard and we didn't actually bring in a lot of revenue or did we not get payment from all of our, our you know, clients that came in for the day, um, or they alternatively, they had a, a, a slamming day and, and everybody's like, I know it was slamming that day. Cause I worked really hard, but it's good to see the number and see how well you do. Um, and there are lots of different ways of, of having that transparency. Um, there's a lot of different dashboards you can use. I mean, it, does it take time to print off those reports and find out the day, you know, end of day totals? Yeah, but there's a lot of things that can do that for you. There's, you know, things like iBet360's Pulse dashboard. A lot of people have other types of dashboards written, you know, worked into their practice management software. So being able to utilize that and share that information on a level with your entire staff does get them more involved. I mean, just just down to, you know, myself, like running a tech appointment, I might have had a pet, a pet that was scheduled for um, a second Lyme vaccine, for example. And 
I would walk out and say, you know, are you able to trim Fluffy's nails at home or is that something that I can do for you while you're here? And presenting it as a, as you're doing them a service, but you're also, you know, and asking if they need flea and tick prevention, you're also boosting that average transaction charge. And so it gets people aware of all of those things. And yeah, just like you said, um, those things aren't extra things we're just throwing in. They're things that are important and are of service to your clients. You're not, you know what I mean? You're not upselling necessarily. So um, that transparency, I think is just huge. Well, and again, if we really want to look at a successful business model in the veterinary field, we got to get away from a doctor-centered practice to a team-centric and client-centric healthcare delivery. And you've got to reward the team for the work and recognize the team for the work that they do. I mean, listen, I'm a veterinarian and I fully acknowledge that there is no way I want to answer the phone in my practice. So why am I, why am I not rewarding my receptionist more for being the, the Kevlar between the bullets that my clients want to shoot and me? Well, they are, <laughs> you know? And, and the same goes for the technicians that I use in the exam rooms. And so everybody should be rewarded and everybody should be recognized for their contributions in public forums, in financial opportunities, and more so than money and more so than accolades, everybody should be listen, listened to when they have ideas that they can share that will help improve the efficiency, the effectiveness, the outcomes within a practice. I, I think, as I talked about with the dental program earlier, if you have a problem of, uh, that needs to be solved in a practice and you're a good leader, you don't solve the problem. You give the problem to your team or a group of people on your team to work on solving so that you have a team accepted problem solution, not one that comes top down, but that one that comes from everybody on the team. And that will have much more stickiness to it than any top down solution. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, that's great advice. Um, and you know, I, I see in different conversations, um, you know, I'm, I'm part of some groups where I, I see it come up just on the, on the technician side that they're working in practices and, and I get this negative, I, I feel this negativity, like, yep, all practice, they're all the same. And there's, it, it's always going to be this way and we're always going to be underpaid and, and underappreciated. And, and it, it kills me because I've seen practices. I, I call on them and they are not all like that. They are, there are so many veterinary hospitals that are embracing, um, you know, change and, and, and really just have a very team centric approach. And if, if we could get them all to do that, how amazing would our profession be? Right? Yeah. Well, if veterinarian practices for all intents and purposes, aren't exactly leaders. And so it all depends upon which practice they're following. You know, Hey, Kimberly, tell me the practices that you worked in didn't call around the community pretending they were clients and asking what their fees were for an office call or for a vaccination. You know, the veterinarian out there who comes up with their own way of setting their fee schedules will be the leader of the pack. Well, that's 
there are some practices that are true leaders and there are some practices that are followers and there are practices that are laggards and and there always has to be that bell-shaped curve isn't there where people right. are at the tip of the bell-shaped curve people are at the top and the vast majority are in the middle I want to know who's at the front. I want to know who's leading. I want to know who the head elephant is in the um, parade because that's the elephant that I'm hoping will lead me to a level of success. Here's the problem. In the veterinary profession, that lead elephant, the one who everybody's got their tail attached to, just grab the tail of the, t of the elephant at the end and now there's just a bunch of elephants walking around in circles. Yeah, thanks Dr. Weinstein. Um, we're going to take a break and we're going to pick back up in, uh, on our next episode and we'll complete this conversation and uh, keep it going. So thanks again, listeners, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of The Vet Detective. Like what you heard? Be sure to subscribe and tune in next time as we unfold our next veterinary mystery.